Amen, amen. Thanks, Justin. So my husband's a ridiculous person, and he has been since he's been in high school, and I've heard so many crazy antics about what happened, and I've realized I have not asked Justin if he was involved in the antics of high school. Yeah, so now, you know, now my husband's in his mid-30s, and I think still thinks he's in youth group. So you know what? Make the list of what you want in a partner, but you only get some of them, and youth group guy in his mid-30s was not on my list. But here we are, you know, here we are, it's fine. I'm really grateful to hear that some of you are not into the turkey because I just feel like this year, I've had to just be honest, it's a hot take, but turkey is kind of gross, right? Okay, why don't we start a campaign so that Thanksgiving the meat is like baby back ribs? Okay, new plan next year, Thanksgiving, we can be thankful all year. We don't need a turkey to be thankful. And I feel like I'm gonna be more thankful for Thanksgiving next year because we're being honest about the turkey. Some of you are upset now because you're like, but the turkey, it's tradition. Who are you? Just be honest. Who are you, turkey people? All right, extend a hand of prayer towards them because they need to come to the light. All right, that's okay, that's fine. Um, like Justin said, uh, I, I have written a couple books, and I know you all don't read books that you're not, you know, have to read for class, and that's just fine. So I'm going to give you a summary of one of my books today. How about that? Woo! Real quick. There we go. So this book, it's called Make a Move, How to Stop Wavering and Make Decisions in a Disorienting World. And it's about, yeah, it's about making decisions. And I, did, I have an audio book, too, where I really tried not to read it as fast as I talk. So you can slow it down or speed it up. But here you go. I'm going to give you a summary of this book. Then you don't have to read it. So I will start off with a story, the same story that I start this book off with. It's something that happened to me not that long ago. Um, but I, I, I will, it's, it's a little bit of a vulnerable story, but I feel like it's important for you to know that this is an experience that I've been through when it comes to this topic. I remember sitting alone in a house, I was, I was 100 miles, hundreds of miles from here, and I was all by myself, and I'm sitting there, and I realize all of a sudden I'm in a, a room with air conditioning on, but I'm feeling like I'm getting sweaty. And I, and I feel these beads of sweat on my forehead, and then I feel like I'm just trying to, to, to breathe, like, I'm, like I had just been running, but I wasn't running, I was just sitting in a room, but I was like trying to catch my breath, Whew. and I'm just trying to catch my breath, and then all of a sudden I just feel this like tightness in my whole body, and I feel like I'm either going to like faint, or I'm going to be sick, or like both, and I'm not really sure, and, and so then I try to just take deep breaths, but it's like maybe you've had this happen, you just don't feel like you can get... All the, lung, all the oxygen into your lungs, and so I'm feeling like I'm having this, and then all of a sudden, I just feel like spinning in my head is this question. What should I do, what should I do, what should I do? And it's in my head, I'm by myself, and then all of a sudden, I, I hear it coming out of my mouth. What should I do, what should I do, what should I do? And I was so stressed out, and I'm sitting in this room all by myself, I'm sweating, and I look back at that experience that I had a few years ago, and that, I think, was a panic attack. Like, I didn't know what that's what was happening at the time, but why, when I'm sitting in a room, would I be sweaty and I can't breathe, and I, I didn't know what to do? I was feeling overwhelmed, and all this thing that I was going through before, I had never, I had, had anxiety before, but had never felt like it was that significantly out of control. And what was it that brought on the first panic attack in my life? It was a decision. It was a decision that I had to make. Has anybody been there with big decisions in your life? Not necessarily like, you know, a panic attack level decision, but has anybody felt really stressed out by a decision that you've had to make? Just be honest with me. Okay, I'm not alone. And, and this is a reality that so many of us face, right? 
because we actually have to make so many decisions. Do you know that researchers say that we make up to 35,000 decisions a day? 35,000 decisions a day from, you know, little things like what are we going to wear, what are we going to eat, what are we going to do after class, do I like turkey or not, you know, they're, they're making me pick. These decisions are in our lives every single day, but there was decisions like this one that I was facing, the one that led me to having that first panic attack. And this was a life-altering decision. You've been there with some life-altering decisions in your life. I know, what, a big one, right, about college. There's so many decisions in our life that are small that we make every single day, but then there are other decisions that are life-altering. They change the trajectory of our lives, and it's one of those this-changes-everything decisions. And that was the type of decision that I was making that caused that first panic attack. Now, those types of decisions don't come around every single day, but they are very present in our life. And out of all of those 35,000 decisions we make in our life, some of them are not that important, some of them are not that consequential, but some of them are really key because they change our lives at the very core. And in that situation, I just didn't know what to do. I had tried everything, you guys. I had tried a pros and cons list. Who's a fan of the pros and cons list? I had tried asking all of my mentors if they could just tell me what to do. Turns out, if you're a good mentor, you don't just tell somebody what to do. But I tried asking everybody. I tried to, to get all the advice. I tried to say to God, okay, God, look, I will literally do whatever you want me to do. Just, I'm praying. And when I open my eyes, if you could just write on the wall the answer. Now, God was not doing any of these things. I just was like, God, just tell me what to do. I tried every single type of, of formula for decision-making that I could find, and I, this type of wavering was leading me to this, I would call it like decision paralysis, analysis paralysis. I had been thinking about it so long that I was getting stuck. And I've had so many conversations with people in their life about decisions, about discernment, about trying to follow God in their life. And when I ask somebody, do you have kind of like a philosophy of decision making in your life? The interesting thing is that most people don't really have like a philosophy of how they answer this question. What is your philosophy of discernment? And I think that that lack of kind of a solid approach to this as Jesus followers is what can lead us to this type of decision paralysis or maybe even worse, where we make decisions without even really praying about them or thinking about them or even asking what God might be doing in the midst of these things. So when I think back on this time of my life, I recognize that there's going to be life-altering decisions for the rest of my life. And that's when I started to think, how can I have an approach to decision-making that, that is one that we see in Scripture? How can I have an approach to discerning what God's inviting me into in the small decisions, the big decisions, and everything in between that is consistent, knowing that I want to be somebody that follows the Holy Spirit for the rest of my life? And that's what kind of led to this book. Something tells us in this world, I think if you're trying to make a, de a decision, that, that there's, uh, the decisions are deeper than just a pros and cons. If you're praying about it, you know there's something deeper than just pros and cons lists when it comes to what to do. And I think that that something is the Holy Spirit telling us that there's more to what's going on here than just is this got a longer list of pros and cons. I think that the Holy Spirit, as we see, Jesus says to his closest friends, I'm physically not going to be here anymore, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be a counselor, to be a, a comforter. The word in Greek there is parakletos. It's sometimes translated as helper, advocate, comforter, counselor. Jesus wanted his friends to understand how important 
the Holy Spirit truly would be. He talked about it for a long time. He said, the Spirit is your helper. The Spirit will be with you always. The Spirit will remind you of the things that I taught you. Because they were gonna forget sometimes because they were gonna face some really hard things. But the Holy Spirit's gonna be your guide. Jesus told them all of this. The Holy Spirit advocates for truth. Not just the truth about things out here, the truth about who you are, because we know we have an enemy who wants to tell us lies about who we are. The Spirit is the one that advocates for the truth about who other people are in our lives, because we have an enemy who wants to tell us, no, 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 we're not brothers and sisters. We need to have division, right? The, the Holy Spirit is the one who's gonna tell us the truth about who God is, because sometimes when we're honest, our picture of who God is is not true to the heart of who God truly is. Isn't that right? And so the Holy Spirit is being given to us. Now, here's the thing. I just think that sounds really mystical. Sometimes I would rather have the pros and cons list. Wouldn't that make it easier and just cleaner? And if those mentors would just tell me what to do? But you know that God's invitation to us is a relationship. And if we could just do the pros and cons list thing, if some other person could just tell us what to do, then we wouldn't need that relationship with God. And that at the core, that's what Jesus wants from us, our hearts. That's why Jesus doesn't write it on the wall for most of us. If that happened to you, that's really cool. I want to hear about it. But that's why Jesus doesn't normally do that because if, the, if it was written on the wall, we wouldn't have to walk with Jesus, being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think when I, when I think about this, this idea of what it means for us to actually trust in this advocate, in this counselor, it's a little bit more mystical, but I think that's what I actually needed. Back in that time when I was having that panic attack, what I needed then was not writing on the wall. I needed a comforter, didn't I? I needed an advocate. I needed the truth about who I am to be true that no, even if I made the decision that wasn't the best one, I was still gonna know Jesus and I was gonna be okay. I needed to know that stuff back then. That's what I actually needed. And in hindsight, when I look at the decisions in my life, maybe you can look this too, when you look back, the decisions weren't mostly about what was right or wrong, were they? They were like the difference between what was a good decision, a bad decision, maybe a better decision, or the best. That's pretty different than is this decision right or wrong. They're less about having like a specific, like God has a specific will for this, like it's right or wrong, it's in God's will or it's not, but how God is engaging with us around the different ways we could find God's will in the different decisions. That God's inviting us to wrestle with God through those things. And I think that our kind of obsession, and maybe you have seen this, I know I have, this kind of obsession with the will of God is something we see a ton. This like there's this one perfect will and we have to find it. There's been many books written by many preachers and scholars and pastors that have argued, you know, you've gotta find God's will. And it's not that I disagree with that. I just think we have kind of put God's will in this compartment and saying that it's this one thing and you better find it or you're gonna get it wrong. And then instead of actually discerning a relationship with Jesus, we're just trying not to screw it up. And I just don't think that's what God is inviting us into. Because when you see the stories in scripture, you see God's people time and time again trying to figure out how to make decisions, how to follow God. You see them trying to figure out what does it look like for me to follow the Holy Spirit when you look at the early church in Acts, right? And it's a lot messier than it seems. Instead of it really being about a specific will that they're always trying to find, I think what we see is a way. We get so concerned about God's will, instead we miss what is the way Jesus is inviting us to follow the Holy Spirit. So that's what I wanna talk about today. What is the way that Jesus invites us to follow the Holy Spirit so that we can actually be in step with God's will? So there's a few stories in the Bible. Think back through, you know, you're all taking the classes. There's a few stories in the Bible where God speaks to people audibly, right? 
There's a few stories in the Bible where God wakes up a sleeping person and is like, you can't stay sleeping, I got something to say to you right now. That happens sometimes. We see uh, God showing up in a flaming bush, right, and talking to, to Moses. We see this writing on the wall, I was talking about this, like a creepy hand is writing on a wall in Daniel 5. Listen, if that actually happened, like just picture that for a second, okay. A creepy hand shows up in a room that you're in and it starts writing on the wall. Like I think I would freak out and start screaming and then pee my pants a little bit. Like think about how creepy that would be. Is that what we actually want? No, don't get me wrong, when you really wanna know the answer, that might be what you want. But here's the thing, I think that God could still speak in those ways, and sometimes God does. I have no interest in limiting what God can do. But when we look at most of scripture, in between the stories of the writing on the wall and the burning bush and the the waking up in the middle of the night with God saying, you know, follow me. (laughs) These stories, in between all those stories, you see God's people trying to figure out how to follow God and it's a lot messier than that. And it's not always that clear, but it's time and time again inviting people into a relationship. So I really think that following Jesus is not only about God's will, but about Jesus' way. And Jesus shows us that he wants us to be in relationship. So remember, I told you the story, Jesus is about to leave and he tells his disciples, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then we see in the book of Acts, the people trying to figure out, these early church leaders, how do I follow this spirit? I think that's a great place for us to look at what might be our method for making decisions in our life. Let's look at how the earliest leaders, when they knew Jesus face to face, Jesus leaves and gives them the Holy Spirit. How did they follow the Holy Spirit? And what does that say to us about how we might follow the Holy Spirit in our lives? So, so right now, think about a decision you've made in the past or maybe a decision that you're making now, or maybe one that you know is gonna come up in the future, and and consider today how this story that we're gonna look at informs how you might think about decision-making and discernment in your life, okay? This is gonna be in Acts 16, so if you have a Bible, you can pull it out. Um, If not, I'll I'll read it to you. And so when we think of this story in Acts, um, you know, people refer to Acts, the book of Acts, sometimes they say it's the Acts of the Apostles. But if you have read the book of Acts, it's more accurate to say that this book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and the apostles are just trying to keep up with what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what's really going on in the book of Acts. And so the story shows these early leaders trying to figure out how to follow where God was leading them. They knew they had a mission, and that mission was to to bring the good news of Jesus' kingdom to the world. But what does that mean? Where do you go? Where do you start? Where do you go next? And we see here in Acts 16 these folks trying to figure out how do we do this on this journey? How do we take these steps? How do we know where to go? So let me start in verse six, Acts 16, verse six. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Binthia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia, went down to Troas, And then during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, that's like four verses, but what we don't know because we don't necessarily picture the geography here of them trying to go to Galatia and then trying to go to Binthia and Mysia, these were hundreds of miles apart from each other. 
And they're not, you know, they're not in a car, obviously. And so they're having to travel these long distances to get to these places. And when they get to these places, the, the Holy Spirit prevents them, it says, from going into the province of Asia. Okay, I'm not totally sure what that meant. What do you mean the Holy Spirit? But that's what we have, are told. And then, I just think it's crazy. They, they travel at least another 100 miles only to find out that they can't go into this, this, this place of Bintia. And it says that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I don't know if you've read that before, but if you just skip right over it, you're like, oh, okay, the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. What does that mean? What, like, what, what, like the spirit of Jesus is like floating in the middle of the, the road and is like, you cannot go. Or maybe it's kind of like, I picture, what I picture is like a Star Wars hologram, Jesus. And he's in the road and he's like, you cannot go into Bintia. The spirit of Jesus has spoken. And then, like he, now it's not in the text if it's a Star Wars hologram or not to be clear, but I choose to believe that's what happened. So, you know, I, we don't know. I just wanna know, like, can we have some more explanation here? Did they have like a sense of like, unter- un- like they felt weird about it? I don't know. But I just think like Jesus was pulling a Princess Leia and like, woo, he's doing the, doing the hologram thing. And so God's telling them here, instead of by telling them what to do, do we notice how he's leading them by saying, no, not, this isn't it. And that's how decision-making is in our life sometimes. We start to go in this direction and we think, oh no, that's not quite it. And I've never seen like hologram Jesus, not saying it couldn't happen, but it could, right? Something keeps them from going forward. And, and it feels like a doors, are, doors are closing and it doesn't seem like any windows are opening either. So they just, but notice what they did, they just kept going. They kept going, they didn't stop and pout about it, they just kept going. Finally, finally, they, they have this sign from God that seems like it's what they should actually do. And it, and it said, like I just read, that there was a, a dream that they had, that Paul had. And uh, this man from Macedonia was saying, help, Paul of Tarsus, you're our only hope. Like, sorry, I couldn't help, I couldn't help, I couldn't help it. So I did, that's not what he said. Okay, that's also Star Wars, sorry. He woke up in the middle of the night and this man is saying like, help, we need you to come, we need you to come. And so he gets up, Paul gets up and he goes downstairs and he's like, let's go, we gotta go right now. And I just feel like that's a little rude because I like to sleep in. But the thing is, if you've been trying to figure out what to do and you've been hitting a dead end time and time again, and finally you think like you've got a clear action step, you might want, I think maybe I would be like, all right, let's go because we've been hitting the spirit of Jesus thing and not been able to go where we wanted to go, so let's do this. And so they get, this time they have to go across the sea. I can imagine while you're on the boat, you're like, oh my goodness, what if we get there and hologram Jesus says this was wrong too. Like that'd be really annoying, but you know what? They were doing the best they could and they kept going. They kept moving towards what they thought God was doing. And they get to the other side of the sea and they get there and and it says that it was time for a a time of prayer, all right? I'm gonna pick it up in verse 13. On the Sabbath, when they arrived on the, sea, on the other side of the sea, we went outside to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman, who, woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Paul and his friends went to this river to a a place where they thought was a place of prayer. Lydia was a person who worshiped God. What was she doing? She was going to find a place of prayer. 
Let's just stop here for a minute. When it comes to our philosophy of decision-making, where does prayer play a role in it? Hopefully that's throughout, right? Most of us are, maybe some of you did, but most of us, myself, I did not grow up in a tradition of Christianity where we had specific times where we would pray regularly throughout the day. Maybe there was like a morning devo or something like that. But there's still people today, and back at this time, the early followers of Jesus, they would pray at certain times of day, like just a part of their life. And I don't know about you, but I've sometimes thought, man, if we have regular prayer times that are that kind of stiff, then it's just like not gonna feel real to me. Have you ever had that feeling? Like if we just, if I do these prayer times every day in the same way, it's gonna feel a little rote or like, like I'm just going through the motions. And, and I don't know if that's what God wants, so I don't know, and you wrestle with that, right? How many times had Paul, how many times had Lydia gone to a place to pray and God did nothing miraculous? It was maybe going through the motions. It was kind of like, well, I'm here, God, I'm praying and I don't hear anything. Probably hundreds of times. But this time, they both end up at the same place of prayer and God does something that changes the trajectory of the gospel forever. Maybe you don't realize this, but Lydia is often called like the gateway to Europe. What happened after this story is that these men came into the house and what happened was a church was birthed out of Lydia's house. She's a church planter. And what happened was that the whole gospel spread through Europe in a lot of different ways, in many ways because of this beginning right here in her home. Uh, when it says her whole household was baptized, let's make sure we don't think of a household like we might have here in America, where there's maybe a, a nuclear family or there's maybe like grandma and grandpa and some kids and a, you know, the, an oikos in Greek, it's oikos like the yogurt, means household. And, and a household like Lydia's would be not only her family that's related to her, maybe some of those people, but also people who worked for her. It was like an economic system. So we're talking about, it could be dozens of people. We don't know exactly how many. The people who were a part of her business selling purple cloth, which was rich, fancy clothing. That was a big deal. And so this, this household, all becoming followers of Jesus, was no small thing. This was a big deal. And, and, and they were following and figuring out how to follow what God was doing, and they get to this other side. Here's my question. What, Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia, right? You're our only hope. And he gets there, and instead of it being a man from Macedonia, it's like a woman in the fashion industry, right? So the question is like, well, was the dream wrong? Like, did God give Paul a vision that was not correct? Well, first of all, let's just remember, if in the first century, Paul came down and was like, everybody wake up, I've been dreaming about women in the fashion industry. They might have been like, look, Paul, you need to go back to sleep. Like, that's something we share in our prayer circle, but I don't know if that's God speaking to you, sir. Like, that's fine. Like, I understand. So you don't know. I, I don't know. But the truth is, is that because of what happened through Lydia, many men from Macedonia were helped. So it wasn't that the vision was incorrect, but notice how Paul had to be open to whatever God was doing, even if it didn't look like what he originally thought. So many times in your life, if you keep moving towards what God is doing, you're gonna go, but the picture that God gave me looked like this. And you look and you say, but if I'm paying attention, God's doing these other things. And I wanna encourage you that sometimes that's exactly what God's doing. God gave you the vision so that you'd keep moving, so that you'd get from one side of the sea to the other, and God has something else for you there. And it doesn't mean it wasn't accurate, it might just mean it wasn't complete. The vision was just a piece of, of the bigger picture of what God's doing. And so you continue to move. So I've just got three things I think this story teaches us that we should take with us today, okay? Three, three things when it comes to decision making. I think first thing is that we just have to accept 
that God's not going to give us like a roadmap before we set sail. In the back of your Bibles, if you ever look, there's like a map of, of Paul's journeys. He didn't get the map beforehand, he got the map afterwards, right? We wrote the map down after he couldn't go to Bintia because of the Spirit of Jesus hologram. Not in the text, remember. And, and that's how the map was developed. God doesn't give us a map. So the first thing I think we have to do, and this is so critical for the season of life you're in, is accept that what Jesus wants for us is not to follow a perfect roadmap, but to have a relationship. Can we accept that we're not getting a map from God, but a relationship with Jesus? That's the first thing I think we notice here in this story. The second thing, notice that the Holy Spirit is gonna get your attention at expected times and unexpected times. Totally unexpected in the middle of the night for Paul. Totally expected when you go to a place of prayer, right? I'm coming to show up to God and say, what, God, what are you doing? The Holy Spirit, if we're paying attention, wants to, to get our attention in both unexpected and expected times. What we see Paul doing here and the others and Lydia is being open to what God might be doing at any time. Have you ever been, uh, heard somebody say this? I've said this before too. Like when you have like a worship time or maybe you are you know, doing a prayer time with some of your friends and you say the phrase, God showed up. I've said that before, have you said that before? Oh, God really showed up in that time of worship. And it's not that that's wrong, but what I want us to think of is really more like God is moving all the time. Are we going to show up to God? Like, are we gonna show up to what God's doing in a worship service, in a prayer time, but also when we're walking to and from class, when we're figuring out how to navigate our family during the holidays, when we're figuring out what it is that God wants us to do when it comes to our majors, all of those things are times where we get to choose if we're gonna show up to God in both the times of expectation and unexpected times. Because sometimes the picture that we got is gonna look a little different. Like instead of a man from Macedonia, it's someone like Lydia. And then finally, I think the last thing that we see from this story is that they're experimenting. Experimenting, do I have any science majors here? Anybody who's majoring in one of the sciences? All right, we got one very enthusiastic sir. That's, yes, a few of you. I was not a science major. I was the person that waited till my last semester to take uh, astro astronomy, and it was a physics class. It was not just looking at stars, turns out. It was very hard, I almost failed. But. I do think that the scientific method of, of experimenting is a way for us to look at discernment and decision making. Not because we're taking Jesus out of it, but because an experiment opens up our hearts to pay attention to the spirit. So, so just think of it this way. If you have, and I, I think you see this in the story, you see the first step of an experiment is like, what's your question you're trying to answer, right? The second step of, the, of an experiment is to research and kind of say, well, what else do I know? The third step of an experiment is to determine what that is, the first step, the first experiment's gonna be. And then, fourth, you, you step into it, and you try it, and then you analyze the results. So what's your question? What's the research? What's the first experiment you're gonna do? Take those steps and then analyze it and learn something. Did you know that there's no such thing as a failed experiment when it comes to this type of decision making? The only failed experiment is one that you don't do, right? If you don't do it, then I guess you failed at experimenting. But when you do an experiment, you always learn something. So you see the followers here of Jesus trying to figure this out. They try to go here, here's an experiment. The experiment is we're not supposed to go to Bintia. The experiment is we're not supposed to go to Mysia. The experiment is we go across the sea and the results are not typical. It's a woman in the fashion industry instead of a man from Macedonia. But they're experimenting along the way. So we bring to God the questions that we have and we say, what's my next move? 
And that's what I mean when I talk about making a move, discernment through movement. We can go away and have our prayer time, and I wanna encourage you to do that, just like we saw here, and ask God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to me? But we can also say, I'm going to look for what the Spirit is doing while I'm on the move, while I'm on the way. And if I pay attention to that, then I think similar to what we see in the stories in Acts, then we will be in step with the Spirit, saying, I think this seems good to me in the Holy Spirit. And all along the way, we will be developing a deeper trust in Jesus, a deeper dependency on the Holy Spirit. And then our discernment through movement will take us one experiment at a time towards the future that God has for each one of us. So whether you're somebody who is making a big decision or a small decision in your life right now, whether you're somebody who feels anxious about your decisions to the point like I did and I had this panic attack, or maybe you don't feel anxious about them, what I want to encourage you to consider is that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to guide you one step at a time. And if we show up to the Holy Spirit, then one step at a time will be exactly where God wants us to be. Let me give you a short prayer of commissioning. God, I pray that for each of these students, as they take these steps towards finals week, as they take one step at a time towards the decisions they're making relationally with their families, with their roommates, with their friends, that your spirit would guide them. And more than anything, would they not only make right decisions, but good decisions, and most importantly, deepen their relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.